Hello and welcome to another edition of Footy Time. It is the 8th of August 2022. We've just finished round 21. There are two rounds to go. Ooh-wee. Yep. Yep. And how did your team go? Uh, no, mine didn't do too well and that was a bit of a shame. Had a little bit higher expectations, but uh, this is the kind of season that we're having. Uh, there's teams that are going on absolute tears at the moment. Coming good at the right time. And if you're coming good at this time of the year, doesn't really matter how good your list is. You've got a chance that is as good as anyone's to go on and win the whole thing. So, yeah, without any further ado, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We've got a segment that uh, we used to do quite often in True or False, where we pose a question and then argue whether this is true or false and why. We obviously couldn't do this segment without somebody very important, so I'm very pleased to say that we have Daniel Andrews on the show today. Not live, but we do have some voice recordings of some of his questions and his responses, so it's going to be good to have our old friend Dan on the show. So, Dan, the floor is yours for the first question. Hey everyone, Daniel here. Just thought I'd jump on the line and uh, do a bit of true or false like we used to do in the good old days. So, have a go at a cup myself and uh, then throw it to Johnny for a curveball to finish. So, uh, the 2022 version of Melbourne is inferior to the 2021 version. True or false? Hmm, interesting question. I think on the whole, I would have to say false. I think most of the issues that Melbourne has had this year have been born out of injury or uh, basically just a willingness to try and modify the way they're playing to basically try and protect uh, themselves or try to prime themselves for finals, really. Uh, the availability hasn't been the same. They're probably playing a bit deeper, which has made it harder to put pressure on the opposition. Uh, but really, it's the same team. Like If you look at it on paper, there's very few changes from 2021 to 2022. Uh, there's a few players here and there, but it's essentially the same team. So by and large... I think Melbourne are very capable and they've shown that selectively in a few games this year, but uh, I'd say they've done it almost perfectly. They're primed for a, hopefully a top two finish, uh, for Melbourne supporters' sake at least, and uh, a good run at the finals. So uh, yeah, it's easy to forget that last year wasn't all smooth sailing uh, for Melbourne as well. There was a bit of time through the middle of the year where there was a bit it was a bit up and down and Melbourne didn't look great and it's almost followed the exact same pattern this year so uh, I would say in terms of this question probably better to judge Melbourne at the end of the season Uh, but at this stage I'd say they are probably more or less on track to uh, do similar in 2022 to what they did in 2021 so no guarantees obviously but uh, tracking in the right direction and if they can get T-Mac back uh, before finals, well, all the better. But uh, yeah, nothing's ever the same. You got to do it a different way each year. Uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, we can see a good showing from Melbourne to keep the uh, race for the flag interesting in the last uh, couple of months of the season here. It is a tough question. And I'll just note that Dan actually recorded his response before the Friday night came against Collingwood. Not that it I don't think it would make too much of a difference, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try and stick very close to what I had also put in my notes 
from before that game. But uh, obviously, it's going to be very hard to ignore what did happen. Um, yeah, so it's a great one to kick things off, Dan. So thanks for that one. To start with, I think that the 2021 version of Melbourne was just out of this world good, to be honest. And as good as they were, they also had a fantastic run with injuries. Uh, and they were able to operate with minimal pivoting and shifting to the game style. Uh, to go through a season the way they did with just the four losses and the one draw. And more often than not, when they lost, they rebounded the following week. So it really was a brilliant season. It was like the textbook season if you're trying to win a flag. But I think what they did is just extremely hard to replicate and has very little margin for error. Uh, there was more film on Melbourne, obviously, and coaches around the comp would have been studying the way that we play, every little nuance and trick in much more detail than they would have last season. Uh, there's all sorts of talks about the... um the statistics that are down, like the pressure ratings. I don't know. I feel like sometimes this stat's a little bit misleading. Um, it's a very, like, it is a good gauge of pressure. That's probably the best one that we have. But uh, yeah, uh, sometimes the game can be played in a different way where there's a lot more, I guess, you know, playing in one half and things like that. So I don't know. Like that, The fact is that that is down this year compared to last year. Um, I also do agree with Dan, though, that We've had to sit the line a little bit deeper than maybe we would have liked. Uh, you'd love to see them right up at the forward 50 in the face of the opposition, but they've had to be a bit further back to cover. Yeah, guys like Charlie Spargo have certainly been a bit higher up the park as a high half forward flank. Um, but yeah, then we get to the injuries. And right from the very first game this year, when our trusty ball user Christian Salem went down with that knee injury, there was just a feeling that this year was going to be a bit different in terms of, I guess, the medical room and that we may not get the same luck as we did last year. Um, the injuries that have happened and at the certain times that they have happened has not helped. And I know every team has injuries, but with the systematic way that Melbourne plays, and there's just certain players that the system doesn't work without. And I look to the Stephen Mays, who marshal the back line, the Ed Langdons, who hold the width, the Tom McDonalds. Uh, you know, Tom McDonald, I still don't... I still find that there's people who don't fully understand what he actually brings to the team uh, with his ability to run defenders out of position, create space in the 50. Uh, you know, those four players that I just mentioned, you could easily make a case that they're all in our top 10 important players, I guess. So... Yeah, I mean, look, the, the forward issues are a well-publicized concern and a challenge that we'll have to deal with going to September, but there were also forward issues last year as well. I can't quite remember the stat, but um, I think it's nine times this year where all of Stephen May, Jake Lever, and Harrison Petty have played in the same game. For a cornerstone feature of our game, that's a lot of chopping and changing in that back six. Um, look, anyway, having said all of this, the D's still sit top four with two games to go. It's a pretty good job, if you ask me. I mean, it really did suck to lose on Friday night. Uh, it would have cemented our top four spot and possibly even top two. But with everything that's gone on this year, this team could also have just fallen in a heap and didn't. They've managed to hold firm and still give us a fighting chance. They have to win out now, but uh, yeah. It's still, 
it's still a very good um, title defence so far, I'd say. So, yeah, to answer your question, Dan, look, the Ds may not be as good as last year, but inferior they are not. Uh, as you said, this is largely the same team. And if they do stay healthy, possibly get T-Mac back, they might pose the same threat. Does it mean that they'll win it again this year? Not saying that. But I do agree that the full assessment of Melbourne will probably need to be made at the end of this season. Uh, one thing that has been a constant in these last two years is that Melbourne always need to bring a very high level of defensive pressure to any game. If they're doing that, it will take a challenger's very best to have a chance against us. If that pressure is off, well, anyone can probably beat us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very strange situation to be in. But uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's what I have to say about that one. So we're going to go to Dan again. This is one probably from before the game on the weekend, but let's see what Dan has to say. Next question. True or false? So we've got the dogs are the most dangerous team that could sneak into the eight. So we've got some really interesting uh, things going on in that lower reach of the eight. Carlton could miss the eight altogether if they lose their last three games. And on paper, that's very possible. Then you've probably got three teams really competing for that last place if the Blues can hold their spot in seventh. So that's uh, Richmond, the Bulldogs, and St Kilda. So really at the moment, it's quite tricky to predict who's actually going to finish in that eighth spot or even seventh. But uh, as a supporter of a team that is probably going to make the finals, well, will make the finals, Melbourne, uh, I would actually be the most worried about the Bulldogs. I think they have the most capacity to hurt the opposition Their defense, of course, is uh, not great in terms of uh, letting in scores, but if they can get on top through the midfield and just really uh, go into that mentality of just sort of kamikaze footy and uh, throwing the bodies around, just get the ball forward in any way, shape or form, that's a proven formula that has won the huge games in finals. They did it in 2016 and they did it in 2021 to actually get through to the grand final when no one really thought they would after that sort of lull towards the end of the season there. So even though a lot of people are saying, you know, Richmond, 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 I would be more worried about facing the Bulldogs in any type of elimination final than Richmond as uh, an Auburn supporter or probably any of the other top four teams. I think the Bulldogs are dangerous and uh, they've shown it. They played their best game of the season against Melbourne and... uh, yeah, it was uh, a tricky game. Melbourne had their chances, but uh, the Bulldogs' best is still very, very good. And Hugo uh, Hagen is uh, coming on leaps and bounds. Uh, love the look of him. And uh, yeah, beware the Bulldogs if they can sneak in. Uh, yes, again, it's going to be hard to talk about this one without talking about the game that happened on the weekend. It was all set up for the Bulldogs. Saturday night, Marvel Stadium, a big-time game against the Dockers. If the Dogs won this, I honestly think they would have been going straight to the, the finals. Uh, yeah, this was a massive, massive game for them. And, yeah, it's just unfortunate that it didn't turn out how they wanted it to. They've finished now with the Giants and the Hawks. So, look, they may win both of those and miss the eight now, which is 
a bit of a shame because Richmond have now beaten Port. They go six points clear of the dogs. Not saying that they can't do it, but it's just looking very unlikely now. And I totally agree with Dan. I think that if the dogs <laughs> they did win that, I really think that they would have they would have been the danger team, even more so than Richmond. Um, so yeah, look, just on paper, I do think the dogs are the most dangerous team outside of the eight. I don't know what you all think but early in the season you sometimes get a bit of fool's gold with teams midfields and you know maybe that these guys have bulked up a bit over summer but you know they could also be youthful and then tiring so I, I look at the Carlton midfield the Suns midfield look very tired at the moment um, but for the dogs you know this is a big boy midfield and it bats as deep as any going around I think Tim English has hit his some well he's hit some great form uh, yeah, he had some in the early season, and he really took uh, you know, he took Max Gorn and Luke Jackson to town a few weeks ago. And yeah, it was it's going to hold them in in good stead. But yeah, they, you know, the dogs have got that ground ball game as well, which is outstanding when it's up and running. You know, you just have your ha- your heart in your mouth when it hits the deck in their board line. Yes, their back line is suspect, and it you know it can work against them. Uh, but if they somehow were at this stage able to qualify for the tournament, punch their ticket, you know, this will matter a bit less because if they're playing to their strengths for the month of September, you know, we saw what they did last year. And Eugel Hagen gives them a nice foil for Norton currently. He doesn't have to kick a bag every week. You get a fit and firing Caleb Daniel alongside Bailey Dale. You've got that potent rebound 50 threat. I would have just loved to have seen them win this game against the Dockers because that would have really set up a grandstand finish to the season. I think it's going to work against them now, but you never know. Uh, it's just very disappointing. But, uh, yeah, uh, they definitely the best team outside the eight. And if they're not going to make it this year, watch out for them next year. That's all I'm going to say. Next question. All right. True or false, Geelong's game style uh, in 2022 has them primed for an improved showing in big finals on the MCG. So I'm going to have a go at answering this one first. Um, So Geelong have played five times at the MCG this year for four wins and one loss on the Easter Monday against the Hawks. The last two years, we don't have the absolute best sample data, although they did play six games at the G last year with five wins and one loss to the eventual Premier Melbourne. So that does hold some weight. Uh, But I think the question is as much about if this new style holds them in good stead to win a qualifying final as much as winning at the G, if I have to guess. I have a feeling that that's what Dan is asking. Uh, Yeah, look, in all likelihood, they are going to play their first final there. So it is a pertinent question. But I'm umming and ahhing a bit about this one. Uh, I'm going to say yes, it does. But that doesn't mean that we'll definitely yield the result. I think they've shown a much better ability to cover the ground with run and spread. I've loved the games of guys like Close, Atkins, Stingle, Myers, and how much pressure they all bring, as well as someone like Mark Blitzarv. So I think that he's been reborn this season. And not that he was out of form or anything, but he's been able to use his athleticism to full advantage now. And I'm going to say that, yeah, I think yes, with the only element of doubt being that we need to see this game style in a final 
against quality opposition at the G, which hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> I'm a little bit up and down, but I will say yes. Dan, what do you think? So we all know that Geelong have struggled in uh, big finals over the last 10 years. Not all of them, but uh, some they were definitely expected to win uh, didn't go the way their fans would have been hoping. And uh, even when they had a bit better of a run in the finals in 2020, of course, all of those were being played up in Brisbane. So even that uh, can't provide too much solace for the uh, Geelong supporters there. So they made these big tweaks. They've... uh, you know, rejig the game plan using more angle in the kicking, increased willingness to uh, not necessarily fold back and, uh, you know, go slow and all these sorts of things. So uh, Chris Scott saw the need for change and he made that happen, which is great. Uh, and it seems to have worked very well so far. Although, you know, Geelong's always up top of the ladder anyway, so how would you really know? Uh, I guess one thing we've learned over the last couple of years is that the team that's looking the best, you know, consistently through the season isn't necessarily the team that gets the job done in the end. Uh, you know, Richmond didn't really finish, well, they didn't finish top in any of the years they actually won it. So uh, beware the uh, in-season form, I suppose, in that respect. But in respect to this, true or false, uh, I would have to say it's given them a much better chance. So I think I'll go true, but... Still, the proof will be in the pudding. They have to do it under the most intense pressure, which they'll only really encounter in finals. But in saying that, I think uh, now that the game is more contest-based and uh, these sorts of things, it's probably going to help them. I suppose the another caveat is that it's at the MCG, more wide space. Uh, you know, can their game still hold up uh, on the MCG? that has worked so well at, at Kidinia Park and, you know, some of the smaller grounds. And, you know, they're on the win streak, so it has in some respects. But I think, uh, you know, the MCG is always slightly trickier for Geelong than uh, some of the other grounds. And, uh, yeah, the pressure ratchets right up in the finals, of course. And, yeah, it will be fascinating to see how well Geelong's new game style holds up and whether it can give them uh, enough to get into the grand final and perhaps win the elusive flag. So just referencing some stuff we talked about last year just felt like Geelong's game style really wasn't giving them the best chance. So I think this is a much better version to actually give them a better chance of success in September. Not to say that it's definitely going to happen, but uh, I'd be heartened as a Geelong supporter that Chris Scott has seen fit to make these changes. And uh, yeah, it's a well-oiled machine at the moment. And uh, fiercer challenges to come, I'm sure, absolutely, in the finals. But, uh, yeah, they're right in it. All right, so over to Johnny for the last of these true or falses. The run of only Victorian teams winning the flag will continue this year. True or false, Johnny? And just for a little bit of uh, context here, no interstate team has won the grand final since 2018. That was, of course, the West Coast Eagles getting over the line uh, on the last kick, or not quite the last kick, but uh, very close to the last kick of the day by Dom Sheed. What do you reckon, Johnny? Oh, well, Dan, that is a cracker to finish things off with. Well, this is a bit difficult and may require a harsh view. Uh, It really does come down to how this top four ends up coming in 23. 
the next two weeks are going to have even more twists and turns and more drama than a soap opera. Um, I will say this about the team that I thought had the best chance at South Victoria. Um, and, you know, you could say that they still do. Uh, Brisbane. Many would have had them making at least the grand final at the start of this year. And as a neutral, I still go back to that loss the week before this one against the Tigers. And I just think this was the measuring stick for them and not an impossible task. But this was the game that I was looking at to see if Brisbane could not only do it at the G, but just can they... Yeah, would they just stand up when it was time to stand up and really get it done in cold weather and all that stuff? And Yeah, they came down to Melbourne again and fell to bits again. I was just really disappointed in that game, as I do think that they have close to the most talent on their list of anyone. There's usually a lot of talk about teams and their record against other top eight teams. I know Melbourne gets spoken about a lot with just three wins against top eight teams this year, uh, or something like that. Well, the Lions are f- f- well, it was four and four before the weekend. I guess it's now five and four because they beat Carlton uh, against top ten teams all season. You know they're getting scored against heavily. I think they're in the bottom four for points against, and they're in the bottom four for opposition scores inside fifty. I know I said before that the Dogs, you know, don't have a great defense, uh, but and that a great defense isn't totally necessary. But leading into the finals, you can't have those kinds of numbers in terms of points conceded. I just have real concerns with the way they defend the ground right now, and there's that real pressure of finishing top four and winning in that first week, a little bit like Geelong. So I'm a little bit less worried about that, in all honesty, but much more worried about the way that they are leaking goals at the moment. And with that all being said, they were my pick of the interstate teams. The Dockers, who I like, you know, that if they win out, they've got a chance to finish top four. Um, I don't like making pronouncements or anything like that at this stage, but I would say that it looks like the flag is staying in Victoria, Dan. Uh, yeah, look, Geelong's on fire. Uh, Collingwood are just hit on some kind of amazing tear that we haven't seen for a long, long time. And to rule out Melbourne right now would be a silly thing to do. If they have a break before the finals and refresh a bit, who knows? They could have another another tilt at this, as long as they finish in that top four spot. So I think with that being said, I think the flag will stay in Victoria this year. Not going to say anything about next year and beyond, but I definitely think that the flag is not leaving Victoria this year. Remember early in the season where if you pretty much just smirked at an umpire, you'd have a 50-meter penalty paid against you? What has happened to the descent rule? You know, that rule that they were so keen to, you know, stamp out the bad behavior of all players who were remonstrating with umpires? Jeez. Uh, It would be amazing if the AFL could just now come out and say that the players aren't indeed robots and they've loosened the interpretation of it. I don't know. I just saw many instances in games on the weekends that I'm sure would have resulted in 50s in the earlier ends of the season. I know that this has been real frustrating for a lot of fans, but it always seems to appear that they're hot on certain rules for a limited time just to appease someone. It is really, really frustrating. And it seems that, uh, you know, that the high tackle's been the latest one and that's going to 
there's going to be another shift there. Um, it, it's just getting really frustrating, though, seeing these rules come in. They go hot on them for a while, and then they just decide, yeah, yeah, we'll just loosen the interpretation. So it really, it, it all that matters is what part of the season it is. And you look back at it and say, oh, well, that was when they were really hot on that rule, and that's why that many 50s were being paid, or that's why that many head-eye free kicks were being paid. It's just, I don't know, look, I don't, I don't really have any solution for this. I just wanted to just vent a little bit of frustration on that because it's so difficult to watch. And yeah, it's just really grinding my gears. You know, it makes you wonder, are there going to be any rule changes in this off-season? I think you could pretty much bet your bottom dollar that there will be. And oh, just be really nice if there was one year where they didn't bring in a rule change. You know, just... Just leave the game alone just for one year. Just one year. You know, yeah, that's all. We said it before and we'll say it again. The next two rounds are really going to round out that top four. Um, look, this is probably taking over the top four and top eight watch segment for this week. Top but uh, top eight watch. <laughs> The question is, can the Lions make top four this year? Uh, they take on the Saints next week at Marvel, and I think most people would expect them to win that. Uh, the, you never know, but I think most people would expect that the Lions will come down and win that game. Uh, what follows that game is a blockbuster game against Melbourne at the Gabba next Friday night after that. And that will decide pretty much which one of those teams gets the double chance. Um... I look at the Lions' performance against the Blues, and it was pretty good early on. It was pretty good. The lead blew out to 57 points at three-quarter time, and really, the question was, you know, Lions by how much? But they did get a bit of a scare. The Blues decided to get into the game by kicking eight out of the first nine goals of the final quarter, getting to within 15 points with three minutes remaining. But any ideas that the impossible was going to become possible were snuffed out pretty quickly when Brisbane booted the next three goals to seal the deal by 33 points. But even though the Lions won, they should be very concerned that they let Carlton back into the game like that. And obviously the Blues will be concerned that they were not competitive for the first three quarters, but the question here is about Brisbane. Are Brisbane flaky? And are they going to go deep with this kind of flakiness? Now, I think about a few clubs in that top four right now. And I just feel that there's the mentality of some of these teams right now is exactly where it needs to be. So Geelong, exactly where it needs to be. Now, four goals down against uh, the Bulldogs last week. They were calm. They, weren't, they didn't panic. And they got the job done very easily. You look at Collingwood right now, and if you want to look at a mentality lesson, you you look at the Pies right now because they're doing everything for each other. They're putting their body on the line for each other. They look literally look like that they are in war and next to you know their, their mates in the trenches pretty much. And yeah, they're playing for each other. They want it at the moment. Both those teams really want it. But I look at Brisbane, and it just sometimes want you just feel like that they're picking and choosing when to go, 
when to get it done. And yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know. But we'll see over these next two weeks what can the Lions bring to the table. Because if they do win these next two games, then they've got... Everyone forgets about what's happened. They have a shot at it again. They have a shot in a qualifying final to really put some things right. And if they win that one, then everyone forgets what's happened. Everyone forgets what's happened in the last three or four years uh, where they've, you know, whiffed in those qualifying finals. And you can change the narrative pretty quickly in this game. Pretty quickly. So, yeah, going to be very interesting to see what they can bring. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I got it totally wrong. Totally wrong on Friday night. What am I talking about? Well, let's get into it. So, um, I, I always feel like there's a time and a place to make comments in the media and, I guess, play a little mind games with the opposition. I don't think that there's a world where you shouldn't say anything, but I do think you've got to be very, very careful with what you say, especially when there's a team that has won 10 games in a row, such as Collingwood. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about Ed Langdon's comments the day before Melbourne took on Collingwood at the MCG. Uh, he was on SEN's The Run Home, and he came up with these comments. They, meaning Collingwood, are sort of all dark, no dinner, in the sense that if they're playing fast footy on their terms, they're a very hard team to stop. But they're a bit of a one-trick pony at times. Now, there was a little bit more to that, and these news outlets are not quoting the full comments. He did actually go on to say... Um, we need to try and dampen that. We need to try and slow them down. So, at the time, I looked at that, and I'm usually the first person to sort of put the hand up and say, look, that that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be saying stuff like that. You don't give the other team a reason to, you know, get angry and stuff like that. But I kind of looked at this, and I thought, yeah, it's not that bad, really. It's just a little bit of a... a it's a backhanded compliment, I think, if anything. And he's actually giving him credit about the about the way they've been able to win games. He does sometimes use interesting words in the way that he tries to explain things at LinkedIn. Um, to say something like all duck, no dinner, and the one-trick pony, people are going to go straight to those phrases and take them for the negative connotation. Uh, I don't think that it meant it to be that way, but... As it turned out, that's how he said it. I also thought at the time, well, Collingwood's won 10 in a row. This is a big test for them. Maybe the biggest test that they've had so far in this winning streak. If they need to draw motivation from those comments, then there is a serious problem with motivation down at that footy club. Not to mention that the last time that these two teams had played on the Queen's birthday, there was also Jack Ginneman, uh shouting obscenities at Max Gorn when he was coming off the ground injured. So, if anyone I thought was going to have the motivation stakes up, I actually thought it would be Melbourne. I thought they weren't going to forget that moment. Uh, and they were going to use that as motivation to uh, give them a nice payback touch-up. Well, how wrong were we? Seconds 
seconds into the game on Friday night, the ball went out to the wing, Ed Langdon's wing, and he was gang-tackled by a bunch of Collingwood players, and they got stuck into him. Jeremy Howe also had some comments after the game and is quoted as saying he got what he deserved. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that this is the wrong thing to do, but I'm a little bit surprised that Collingwood were that affected by this. And I'm a little bit surprised that they have openly admitted to using this as motivation. I'm looking at a lot of these comments, and they have pretty much said to any media outlet that was willing to listen how angry this made them and how Ed Langdon got what was coming to him. Like that, that is literally the quote here from Jeremy Howe, that he got what he deserved. He got, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it made him angry. And look, fair enough, I understand that, but I'm just surprised at how much they were willing to admit it. Three players have already said that Fly McRae had this on the whiteboard. Uh, you've got Jack Crisp saying that the whole club was across these comments. And he's quoted as saying, everyone heard it yesterday. Bruzzy, referring to Braden Maynard, put it in our team WhatsApp group. They always have a few jokes in there. Fly had it up pre-game on the board as well. There's a lot of different aspects to our game. I don't know what the one trick is, but we just keep finding ways to win in different ways. It's great to see everyone on the same page. Now, I agree with that, by the way. I do think that Collingwood are finding ways to win in different ways. But what this is telling me is that Collingwood, the players were pissed. <laughs> they were really angry at these comments. And I think that this is a little bit, not alarming, but it's a little bit strange because there's going to be more comments coming. And if you show how much you get hurt, then don't you think this opens the door up for other people to come back at you on the field? So next week, Collingwood plays Sydney. I wonder if... The, I don't look. I don't see the Sydney side as much of a sledging team, but maybe they're going to come out now. Maybe they're now going to come out and um, and maybe use this to their advantage. They may not call them a one-trick pony, but they might, uh, they might find ways to get under their skin now because they've shown now that, yeah, okay, it fired them up and it was great, but... They've shown now that they're a little bit, maybe a bit of a delicate flower. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I'm being a little bit harsh here, but let's be honest. Ed Langdon didn't even really play a bad game. He actually kicked that goal despite all the Collingwood fans booing in his face. He uh, you know, still gathered his normal amount of ball. He may not have had his best game for the season, but I still thought he battled hard. Um, and at the end of the day, if had it not been for a lot of missed opportunities for Melbourne, they would have won this game. They would have won this game by three or four goals. And we don't want to talk about umpiring much, but look, you could make an argument that there were some contentious free kicks that did go the way of Collingwood in their 50. Now, there were probably a few contentious ones that went Melbourne's way as well, but the point I'm trying to make is that they won the game by seven points. Had Melbourne got the game won, we're not talking about this right now. And the, you can get as fired up as you want if you're not winning the game then it doesn't matter. The fact that Collingwood won the game, though, it's now seen as this amazing tonic that produced an amazing performance that got them an amazing win. So, I don't know. I just think that... Um, I just found it a little bit strange that they all came out and and, and were, they, they seemed pretty pleased with themselves. They seemed very pleased with themselves to sort of announce how much it got to them, how brother put it in the whatsapp group and how it was on the whiteboard and it's like okay so what were they going to put up on the whiteboard 
Were they, were they really looking for motivation that badly and then thought, oh, wow, this has just fallen into our lap? It was very interesting to see that Fly McRae actually laughed off the significance of this when addressing the reporters after the game. And he actually came out and said, I like personality in the game. Look, I actually really like Craig McRae, but that's a load of bulldust, <laughs> okay? It obviously hurt them, and they used it to their advantage. So I appreciate that he was trying to, you know, pad down the situation but his players have already come out and told everyone how happy they that they are with how they responded look it's a fantastic win for the pies but really (laughs) yeah i just i just thought it was strange that's all but look the point is i got it wrong i got it wrong i thought this was a nice healthy competitive thing to say but it lit a fire under those collingwood players and now that I think about it, there were 11 wins in a row and they are fantastic in the way they've gone about it. You don't give the opposition an edge. You don't give them anything. And it was a little bit disappointing that they weren't able to do that when, yeah, the, the Ds haven't really been playing that well lately at all. Uh, they, and they lost to a better team on the night too. They really did. So, yeah. Yeah, when you look at that and you look at the Intracot incident with Stephen May and Jake Milksham in June, you kind of wonder if if they are as switched on, if they are as focused as they were last year. So, I don't know. It's a little disappointing, but it definitely didn't cost them the game. But it didn't help. So, yeah, that's just all we've got to hear, say about that. And, uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Um very sure that I've probably made a few Collingwood fans irate after that. So let's hear your feedback. Footytime22 at gmail.com. That brings us to the end of Footy Time for this week. Round 22 coming up. Some big, big games. Big one for my team, obviously. But some big ones that are going to have massive ramifications. We're going to get one step closer to knowing how this final eight is going to be set. And yeah, in the meantime... Enjoy your week. Enjoy the footy. Hope your team wins. Uh, We'll be back with more footy time next week. Bye for now.